We are in week three of a series called Joseph. It's, a, it's about um, uh, Joseph of the Old Testament, not Joseph, Jesus's earthly father. It's about Joseph from the Old Testament. And as we review it, and, and really when you read the book of Genesis and you see the story of Joseph, he's an interesting character that we can all relate to. If you've ever thought about your family and said, my family is crazy, anybody else but me, anybody else but me, you look at his family and they make my family look normal. If any of my family is watching, you know that's true. Uh, he had some generational issues when you look at the background of Joseph. And in week one, Pastor Aaron taught us about the dream that Joseph has as a young man. Uh, his father had 12 sons and several daughters. And Joseph was the 11th son out of that order, right? But uh, typically what would happen is the first or second, you know, usually the first son is the favorite. They're the one who's going to get the blessing. They're going to, and, and, and all sorts of things happen. You can read in the book of Genesis. They are messed up beyond belief. But Joseph is his favorite son. He gives him a coat. Uh, all the other brothers hate him for it. And then on top of that, Joseph has a dream. And his dream is about his brothers bowing down to him. So what does he do? Of course he goes and tells his brothers his dream, which was probably a mistake because, you know, they basically take his coat, throw him in a pit, and we talked about that. And last week, Pastor Aaron talked about the pit. And first week, he talked about four questions to pass the dream test. And he talked about last week, three things to do when you find yourself in the pit. And so we continue on in the story of Joseph here. And again, generations of just issues. But it should really encourage us because this is the family God chooses to work through. If you've ever felt like, well, I'm disqualified, it's just too much of a mess, God can't use me, God can't do anything for me, well, Joseph gives us the opposite picture of that. And so we pick up in Genesis 39, we left off in Genesis 37, there's another story about one of his other brothers named Judah in Genesis 38, which is a really weird story. Uh, you could go back and read it. Uh, it is weird, and it just shows you how messed up this family is. But we pick up in Genesis 39, in verse 1, and it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. So we left off, he was in a pit, he gets sold, and it says, And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Verse 2 says, The Lord was with. Everybody say, The Lord was with. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Everybody say, Successful. I like that word. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did prosper. Everybody say prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Can you imagine that? If we were writing you into this story, it'd be like, the company that they worked for was blessed because of their sake. They were at an all-time profit. This is literally what he's saying here. 
He had, thus he left all he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. So he said, I don't even worry about anything except for what to eat for dinner. That's all. He just hands off, delegated it away. Now, this is where the story turns a little bit. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Other translations say he looked good and he was well built. And it came to pass that after these things, his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now, we all know this is bad right away. We know this is not going to end well right away. But it's interesting here that it says she cast longing eyes. Other translations is the way that it sets it up. It says she looked and she saw that it was, he was good. And for the Hebrew reader who read Genesis more than one time, come on, read it more than once or heard it more than just on a Sunday morning, they had memorized it, heard it over and over again, they would automatically recognize a pattern. You see, because there's patterns in Scripture that you won't get if you just read it one time or you never read it and you just get the verse of the day every day through the Bible app or you just hear it at church. There's patterns you won't recognize. So the Jewish, the Hebrew believers, or if you're a good reader of Scripture and you've read Genesis a couple of times, you would have said, uh-oh, there's a pattern here. And the pattern would have been recognizable from Genesis 3 where the Bible says that Eve, you remember back in the garden, rewind, 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 God said, don't eat that fruit of that tree right there. But the enemy comes, tempts her and says, hey, you could eat that fruit. Hey, I know God said don't do it. It's just because he's jealous and he don't want you to be like him. And it says that she saw that the fruit was good for eating, she saw and she took. Anytime in scripture you see someone, it says they saw and they took, it's never a good thing. If they esteem in their own eyes that something is good and they're gonna do it regardless of what God says, that's the pattern we see here. But here's what Joseph said. He refused, everybody say refused, and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. In other words, I've been promoted to the top of this organization. There's nowhere else for me to go. He went from the pit all the way to the top of Potiphar's house. Promoted to the top. I'm over everything. He's committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in the house than I. I don't answer to anyone but him nor has he kept back anything from me. In other words, I'm getting paid well. I have all the benefits I could need. A 401k, time off, PTO, vacation days. I've got it all. He says, but you. That's the only thing he's withheld because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It's interesting right there. Sin against God. Joseph automatically, we know that he was a teenager at this point. He says, that's a sin against God. Now, we all know it's a sin against God. How do we know that it's a sin against God? Because there's a commandment that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. So we know that. But guess what? 
that commandment didn't come for another 200 plus years. There was no 10 commandments on his wall. He didn't need those to know what was right and what was wrong as a young person. Come on. And so it was, she spoke to Joseph day by day. In other words, she didn't let it go. She didn't let it go. And he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went inside the house to do his work. And none of the men of the house was inside. She caught him by his garment. It's interesting that it comes back to a garment with Joseph. So he got into trouble because he had a technicolor dream coat. With his brothers, they took his garment, ripped it up, put some blood on it, brought it to his dad. And here he is with a garment again. Again, a repeated pattern. She caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and ran outside. Having read the word, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, for your truths today. We thank you for the treasure that we're going to dig out of your word today. We thank you that you would help us all to hear and to learn and to grow and to submit to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I've been in ministry for over 20 years, and I started in ministry and really felt I was called to ministry when I was young like Joseph. When I was about 17 years old, I felt a call to ministry and got involved in my church and served wherever I could. And I knew I wanted to be a pastor and God had put some dreams in my heart. And fast forward, eventually, my father was in the military. He got out of the military. We moved back to Missouri where we were from, and we moved to this little small town, and we were a part of a church, and my wife had grown up in that church. She wasn't my wife at that time. She eventually became my wife. My parents moved away. I stayed there and, and, and had gone to Bible college. Our church had started this Bible college. I went through that, got training, worked my way up, and was on staff at this church. And about the same time that we started in the Bible college, my wife and I, we had felt a call to ministry. There was about a dozen other couples our age or around our age group, young people at that time, when I, back when I was young, it didn't have any gray hair or gray facial hair. We had about a couple dozen of us that we're all said, God has called us into ministry. We're all going to the Bible college. We're all serving in different areas in the church. And fast forward, I'm on staff at that church eventually, and I'm cleaning the toilets, first, second, third, John ministry. I'm cleaning the carpets. I'm doing whatever it takes. And my pastor comes to me one day, and he was from Arkansas, and he kind of had a little Arkansas draw to the way he talked. And uh, he came to me, and he said, Jason, I want you to know, you're not the most talented. And I'm like, oh, wow, thank you, Pastor. <laughs> you're not the most gifted. I'm like, oh, man, I'm really feeling lifted up right now. <laughs> he said, and you're not even my favorite. It's like, wow, I'm really encouraged. I'm feeling good about myself right now. And I, you know... I probably didn't do everything right in those days, and I know I didn't do everything right in those days, and you know, and he was trying to train me to ministry and telling me stuff like, if you have a dirty car, you probably have dirty underwear. You know, it's like, 
like, what? That's weird. Are you out here judging people based on how dirty their car is, okay? But he, but he, but he, he was actually trying to give me a word in that moment. And he said, you're not my favorite. You're not the most talented. You're not gifted. You really can't preach. Y'all are like, amen. Uh, you can't sing. Tabby laughed. <laughs> he said, but you got one thing going for you. He said, you are the most faithful. Come on. Yes. He said, you always answer your phone when I call. You always return the text. People say you return the emails. He goes, you're always there. And in that moment, I, I don't think I received that as a compliment after the, all the rest of the part. I only heard the first part. It was like the reverse compliment sandwich. So I didn't hear that till years later. And it reminds me of the story of Joseph of what I've learned over the years is how do you pass the faithfulness test? Joseph passed the faithfulness test. And I want to share with you what I see in Joseph's life and what I've seen in my life to pass the faithfulness test. I'll share with you four things to pass the test. Number one, to pass the faithfulness test is to know God is with you. Know God is with you. you got to be aware of his presence. In verse 2 it says, the Lord was with Joseph. Now, we all like to think that God is with us, no matter what we're doing. Even, you know, when we're doing the wrong thing, we're like, God's on my side. If God be for me, who could be against me? But it's interesting in verse 3, look at this. And it says, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. It's one thing to go into work and be like, I'm blessed and highly favored. It's another thing for your boss. Potiphar did not worship Yahweh. He did not worship the same God we worship, the same God. That you, in fact, he worshiped a pantheon of gods in the Egyptian way. A whole bunch of them. But he looked at Joseph and he said, your God is with you. It's one thing to walk into your work and be like, God is with me. It's another thing for some other people to say, I don't know what's happening, but God is with you. I don't even believe in him. I worship someone else, but your God is with you. I think it's interesting that if we want to pass the test of faithfulness, we have to realize that we can't pass it in our own strength. Often, as pastors, sometimes we don't do a, and I don't mean our pastor, I mean, pa I'm speaking for all pastors, is a lot of times we tell you something, and it's almost like, y'all just need to try harder. You need to be more faithful. And the problem is, when it comes to faithfulness, in my own strength, I'll run out. But if my faithfulness is in response to God's faithfulness, I'll never run out. If my love that I have for those around me is in response to God's love, 
I'll never run out. If the power that I try to walk in is in response to God's power, I'll never run out. If the grace that I'm walking in is in response to God's grace and understanding that, I'll never run out. If, if the righteousness that I'm trying to walk in is not just do this, don't do that, follow these rules, do that, it, I'm going to run out. But if I'm, my righteousness is in response to God's righteousness, I'll never run out. If the goodness that I live in my life, the Bible tells us that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Repentance means this. You were going one way. You thought this way. You had a, a change of heart, a change of mind, and you went the other way. He says his goodness leads us to repentance. Our goodness that we're trying to do is not in our own strength. It's in response to how good he is. That if I understand how good he is, if I understand how loving he is, if I understand how righteous he is, if I understand how faithful he is, I can only help but be faithful. One of the things I say in our Faith Steps class, which is coming up here in September, we're going to have another semester of this, is I say this, Jesus came to be God with us to show us that God the Father was for us and to send the Holy Spirit to be God with us. That is what we have to remember. Romans 8.31 tells us, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's a perspective change. You know, I grew up in the, a lot of times in the Midwest or in Oklahoma, and I remember we had storms. We don't get as many thunderstorms here in San Antonio, but when we do, people freak out. Like in Missouri, when we got thunderstorms, everybody gets their lawn chair and sits out on the, the driveway, and we watch them. That's just what we do. But you know, when you're a child and it's storming outside and you can hear it and you can hear the wind blowing and you can hear the thunder, you can see the lightning, the wind is blowing through the trees and it's making some kind of scary shadow on your window. You get up out of the bed and you go to mom and dad's room and you say, I'm scared. Can I sleep in your bed? And they either say, yes, sweetie, get in here, or go back to your bed. There ain't nothing. You better be scared of me. <laughs> but when they say, yes, you can sleep here, or yes, you can sleep on the floor, your circumstance doesn't change. There's still wind outside. There's still storm outside. But your perspective changes because now you're in the presence of mom and dad. And when we change our perspective, as Pastor Aaron talked about, I have a positive pit perspective last week. When we understand God is with me, who could be against me? So the passive faithfulness test, no, God is with you. The second thing that Joseph did, number two, put your hand to purpose. I want you to realize this. God blessed the work of Joseph's hand, not just the dreams in his heart. Yeah. He had to do something. Do something. Everybody say, do something. do something. Verse 3, the second part says, the Lord made all he did. Everybody say, did. did. Prosper in his hand. He didn't sit around waiting for his dreams to be fulfilled. He did something. He didn't just have faith. He did something. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. He said, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? 
He said, you can't have faith if you're not doing something. So we got to put our hand to purpose. Yes, we have to believe that God is with us, but we got to put our hand to purpose. And we believe in this big time at our church. You know, you, you come to our next steps class, and like right off the bat, we're like, get involved, get involved, start serving here. And you're like, I, I don't even know if this is my church. And we're like, I know, but come and be a part of what we're doing here. And people are like, that just seems a little bit pushy. Because we don't believe that the church is just something that you come and see. It's a part of something you do. Right? Right? We, we believe in that. And, and, and we, do, we try to have different ways for people to do that. In fact, we're going to have a big, big one. What we do on a yearly basis, we do something called Serve Day. Right? And on Serve Day, typically what we do is we take a Saturday morning. We all come. We do a rally. Woo, woo. We do different projects throughout. We're feeding homeless. Uh, we are, you know, painting things. We're cutting people's bushes who need help. And we're packing food. And we're cleaning up areas. And we're doing all these, like, real practical things. Like, in the church I grew up in, we didn't do that. We called it outreach when we went to your house and knocked on your door and told you you were a sinner and you're going to hell. That was what we called outreach. We put some door knockers on there if you look scary. But what we believe is we're serving our community in real practical ways to show them that Jesus loves them before we even tell them. We're going to tell them. We're going to invite them. We're going to bring them. We are going to market. We are going to invite. We're going to bring people. But first, we're going to serve. And so this year, we're doing something different for Serve Day because we are really we believe in it. We're actually going to do it on a Sunday, September 10th. We are not going to have service that day. We're going to be service that day. We're not going to have church. We're going to be church. We're not going to come and see. We're going to go and do. And so uh, there's a, a code up there. You can literally grab out your phone, open, the, ca open the, 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 the camera right there, aim it at that thing. It's going to make a little thing right there, and it's going to bring a QR code up that will take you to the registration. Because what we believe about this is this, is that it is our job to mobilize the church. Not just to fill the seats, to empty the seats. Not just to get your rear end in a seat, to get your rear end out of a seat. And I know if you want to complain about that, that's okay. Pastor Aaron always gives out my email, jason at risechurchtx.com. We want to mobilize the church. What are we mobilizing them to do? To partner with organizations. We've picked organizations in our church. People will come to us and be like, Pastor, we need to do a food bank. We need to have a food pantry. We need to have a food shelf. And I'm like, there's already one in our community. What if we just help them? Well, that belongs to another church. Are we allowed to help them? Yes. We're kingdom partners. And, and people will come and say, hey, I, saw, I noticed this one organization we're partnering with. I, I looked at their beliefs, and I don't know if I agree with all what they said. I, I, I don't even agree with everything I say. <laughs> we're partnering because they're doing something we want to be doing. So we're going to partner with organizations. Lastly, to make an impact. One of our methods of how we do church is we make a difference, that we know that everyone is wired to make a difference. And so September 10th, we're going to come. We're going to rally early in the morning. We're going to go out, serve our community, and then we're going to go home. The NFL is going to kick off. You won't miss the game. 
and at least half of your teams will win. I guarantee it. So sign up for Serve Day. Be a part of that. Put your hand to purpose. Pass the faithfulness test. You gotta know God is with you. You gotta put your hand to purpose. And number three, you gotta maintain a Christ-like attitude. Check your heart. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? I can only imagine Joseph. He has a dream like the sun and the moon are bowing down to me. I'm ready. Got my Technicolor dream coat. Everything's going to bow down to me, everybody, the whole earth. Then his brothers throw him into a pit. Then he makes it there. He doesn't complain to God at any point. It says, in fact, that verse 4, it says, He found favor in his sight and served him. He didn't say, well, I'm the technicolor dream coat. Y'all are supposed to bow down to me. No, he didn't. He, didn't he, he just had this different attitude. And I wish that I could say I always had that attitude. If I go back to the story of my pastor, my first pastor I worked for, man, I gave that guy so much trouble. Sometimes I'll just text him and just say, thank you for giving me a chance. I was like 19, and you gave me a chance. Like, I'm not giving no 19-year-olds chances today. <laughs> Sorry. And I remember before I got on staff at the church, I served at this church, and I knew I had a call in my life, but it was hard. It wasn't glamorous. Like, I took every vacation day I had for eight years. Kids camp, one week. We did something called camp meeting. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Woo, we're going to have a camp meeting. And this was this thing what we would do. And I'm working in kids ministry at that time. So I'm doing kids camp. We take all these little ungrateful, I mean, I mean uh, God, beautiful blessings to camp for a week. Then, we, then we'd have camp meeting in the fall. That's another week of vacation. And here's what it would be like. So I'm working with the kids, so I didn't even get to be a part of camp meeting. I had to have a camp meeting for kids. And we were crazy, charismatic people. So that meant that our services started at 7, and sometimes they would go to 1 in the morning. So I'm back there trying to entertain kids for all that time. But I, and I took a vacation day for this because we do morning, afternoon, and night. And we're back there, and we don't have hardly enough leaders, and nobody's back there. And I'm like, hey, don't nobody know how gifted I am. My pastor wouldn't even know if I was gifted at this. He's out there running around acting crazy. I'm back here. He don't even know how talented I am. Look at me back here. None of these kids even died. No one's bleeding. This is pretty good. And not only that, then we would go to another family of our, our churches, family of churches that we had. We'd take another week to go to Louisiana to go to their camp meeting. So, like, that's my whole vacation. So I went eight years without, and I don't, I'm not paid by the church. 
eight years I didn't take a vacation. And finally, I'm just like, God, I'm tired of this. And I probably said some words I can't repeat here because then y'all really will be emailing me. And I'm like, God, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Nobody sees how gifted I am. And God finally just said to me, like, who are you doing this for? Are you doing this to get on staff? Are you doing this so you get paid? Are you doing this so you'll have a position? Are you doing this because you're serving me? Are you, what are you doing this for? And, and, and he reminded me of a prayer that I prayed. He said, didn't you pray, God, use me? I'm just trying. I'm trying to make you pass a test, and you won't pass it. And I had to change my attitude. In Philippians, Paul writes this about Jesus. He said, let this mind, Philippians 2, 5 through 7, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who be in the form of God. In other words, he was equal with God the Father. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was equal, but he made himself of no reputation. What did he do? He took the form of a bondservant coming in the likeness of men. Jesus was our ultimate example of that. I love what one pastor said when he was defining the Christian walk. He defined it this way. He says, it's long obedience in the same direction. Let me say that again. It's long (laughs) obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. And when I look back, to those couple of dozen young people who were like, God, use me. I believe I'm called to preach. And some of them could really preach the paint off the walls. And some of them could really sing and worship. But I look back, and my wife could tell you this too. I, I, I almost don't want to tell you this. But there's only one couple still in ministry today. And it wasn't the most talented, and it wasn't most gifted. But it was somebody who learned faithfulness. Some of y'all know I'm a marathon runner. I don't say that to brag because it's insane. Really, if you understand what that entails, it's kind of of crazy. And less than 1% of Americans will ever finish a marathon. But here's what I've realized, having run five now, 2% of Americans try. Every marathon I run, so this last one, about 1,500 people started. 1,500 crazy people in San Antonio. But only like 750 finished. Every marathon I've run, double the people start that didn't finish. Some just get out there. I mean, they all start faster than me. Some of them look a lot better than I look in shorts. <laughs> they're looking, they're like, man, y'all look like you're in shape, and they got all the gear. They look, they look the part, and they take off, and I'm passing them later on because they're like, I pulled something. Others just, they don't finish. They run out of time. I want to finish the race. I want to finish the race. So passing the faithfulness test, we've got to 
No, God is with us. We gotta put our hand to purpose. We gotta maintain a Christ-like attitude. And lastly, what we see that Joseph did here. Number four, resist, leave it, and run. Everybody say resist, leave it, run. Don't take the easy road. Verse eight, it says he refused her. Verse 12, it says, he left his garment in, his hand, in her hand, and he fled and ran outside. He ran away from the temptation. A great modern philosopher said it this way, you've got to know when to hold them. <laughs> know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. The young people are like, what was that about? Anybody my age or older is like, yeah, that was funny. So he resisted temptation. Verse 10 says it was day by day that she came to him. Every day he had to resist the temptation. In Matthew 4 and Luke 4, it tells the story of Jesus resisting temptation. He's actually in the desert. He goes, he fasts for 40 days, and the enemy appears to him and tempts him. And he gives us the template, the pattern of how to resist temptation. He didn't command the devil away. He didn't say, all right, right now, in the name of myself, get out of here, devil, and stop tempting me. He didn't say, disappear, abracadabra. Get out of my face with that. He didn't knock him out. He could have, maybe. I don't know. Probably. He gave us the template, and it was this. He spoke God's word. We're all going to be tempted, and we're going to have to resist it. But here's the thing. It may never go away. That's the biggest lie that I think the church tells people. Like, hey, if you, you just resist the devil, and he'll never come back after that. Yes, he's going to flee, but guess what? He comes back. He just keeps coming back. That some of us will always have a certain temptation in our lives. And it's not a sin to be tempted, it's a sin to submit to the temptation. Some of us are just going to be pre-wired to have certain temptations in our lives. And we're gonna to have to do things that allow us to resist that temptation. It's interesting, Jesus spoke the word, but in order to speak the word, you gotta know it. Well, pastor, it's that, nah, it's just, it's too hard for me to memorize things. I can't, I can't, I don't have time. I don't, I'm too busy. The Jewish people would memorize the first five books of the Bible as children. We memorize the office. We memorize, we, we know every line Iron Man said in Avengers, Affinity War. I am Iron Man. We even memorize Christian songs, and there's nothing wrong with Christian songs. But some of them really aren't scripture. Do we know God's word? You got to be willing to leave something behind for something greater. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. 
That's radical. Now, he wasn't talking, actually rip your eye out. He was saying, you got to remove some things. you got to cast it from you, for it's more profitable that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus, that's not very Christ-like. No, it is. There are some places you can't go. You're going to have to leave them behind. If you're trying to get sober, going to the bar and hanging out with folk, that's not going to help you leave that behind. Right now, I'm, I'm doing no sugar, and I'm training for my next marathon. I can't go to the ice cream shop. I want to. But if I go there, I'll be tempted beyond my ability to resist. Get me some cookie dough. If I'm struggling with anxiety and fear, maybe four hours of CNN and Fox News and MSNBC might not be good for me. Because if it bleeds, it leads. That's what they say. Fear is what they're selling. And even, this might be hard. You might have to leave some people behind. Jesus surrounded himself with the right people. And we are the sum of our five closest friends, it said. And Pastor talked about this in the the pit survival kit. you got to have the right friends. We might have to leave them behind. And lastly, as we're resisting it, we go, we, I, I said, run, run, run. First Timothy 6, 11, he says this, but you, oh man of God, we can put woman of God in there, flee these things. Now we know we're supposed to flee from sin. That's what he's talking about. We know we're supposed to do that. But look what he actually says here, and pursue, which means run after righteousness, godliness, faith, love patience, gentleness. We're not just called to run from sin. We're supposed to be running after God. Uh, The reason that many of us never get victory over sin and addiction and things in our life and never get freedom is because we're busy running from, but we're never running to. And people will come up to me and they're like, Pastor, can you talk to Pastor Aaron? I know you help him craft the messages and the series. He needs to preach on sin. We need to hear about the commandments. Sin. Tell them. Stop sinning. And that's the church we grew up in. And I think there's a part of that, right? He said you got to flee sin. You got to flee those things. You got to run away from them. But I always ask those those people and I'll say, okay, brother, sister, what sin do you struggle with? We'll start with that one. They get real quiet. No, 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 pastor. I want you to talk about sexual sins. You know, the church I grew up in is like, let's talk about alcohol. But we never was talking about gluttony. Let's talk about sexual sins. But we was never talking about gossiping. And the people who will, they'll, uh, they will say that to me, they'll say, I, 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 I'm not talking about my sin. I'm, you know, there's the bad sins, the bad ones. They're all bad. To God. And I said, well, but I already know what sin you struggle with. We're going to preach on pride. We're going to preach on self-righteousness. Is that what you want me to start? And it's like, if we did that, it would take us 12 years to make our way through the 613 commandments of the Bible. And can you imagine every week we come and it was like, here's the things you're not supposed to do. And I think 
We need that in a sense, but what we really need is to know what we're running to in God. Instead of focusing on each individual sin, we're saying, sin bad. Run to God. Run from that, but run to God. Pursue Him. So we know God is with us. We put our hand to purpose. We maintain a Christ-like attitude. We refuse it. We leave it. We run. And as I wrap up my story, and I'm, I'm wrapping up here, like Joseph, when I was a young person, I kind of mentioned this, I had a dream of what God was gonna do in my life. He gave us a clear dream and showed us some things, both my wife and I and other people came and confirmed that, but I didn't go and tell everybody who couldn't help me with my dream. And even today in my later 40s, I still haven't fulfilled all that dream. And I realized this about the faithfulness test. I haven't always passed it, haven't always got it right, but even when I pass the test, it's not one and done. <laughs> it's not like, I can't be like, hey God, I, I passed the test. And when I haven't passed the test, God allows me to take a retake, and not, and not only does he allow me to take a retake, he demands I take a retake. And even if I pass it, it's like I gotta get a seasonal recertification in faithfulness. So my encouragement for you as I'm leaving this message and wrapping it up is realize that in every season of life, pass the faithfulness test. Know God is with you. Put your hand to purpose in those times. Maintain a Christ-like attitude and don't take the easy road. So refuse it, leave it, and run. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads. Father God, we thank you right now. Help us to pass the faithfulness test. Help us to live in a way that reflects your faithfulness. We are faithful because you first were faithful. We thank you for that.